On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. This is part two of our episode with Michael Carnegie-Navcorn. He's the CEO of Skillshare. As a CEO or a manager, like, where do you spend your time? You know, time is finite. There's only 24 hours in a day. And obviously, you know, you could be very reactive with your time or you could be very proactive and... Um, I, I, I spend a lot of time you know, reflecting on where I spend my time and you know, was that a good use. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really... Uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let them become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, so totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Michael, we, we talked a lot in part one about the innovation and how you guys moved from being in person to online and and you know building in a in an ecosystem where most people were giving everything away for free and you were actually charging for your business um i'm interested now as you as you have evolved into what you have today um obviously you got three and a half million users you're looking at expanding internationally but people are so busy and they complain about being busy today i'm interested in your philosophy for helping them you know get them to stop in their tracks a little bit and recognize what's available from Skillshare. What's your, what's your, I don't know, your new client acquisition strategy of choice or strategies of choice? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, let me see. I think, I think a lot of, you know, how we view it is just providing as much value. I think, um, I think every single person is very, is different from what they need. And, you know, we, we spend a lot of time on the back end figuring out how to personalize the experience for every single user. Um, so whatever they want to find, you know, they'll be, they'll, they're able to find that as quickly as possible and they can learn the skills that they need. Um, so I wouldn't say there's any general approach, but, um, maybe something that, that, you know, we just focus on in, is just keeping it as simple as possible by providing as much value as we can. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously got to help a ton of the word of mouth. Are you guys in the, like the pay-per-click game also, or do you speak at a lot of conferences? What else do you do to get the word out about Skillshare? 
Yeah, so we, we, we do a lot of marketing as well. So, you know, one of the things that I would say I'm the most proud of is the brand that we built and the brand and the audience and what it stands for. And, and you know, that's helped us in getting teachers to, to working with different influencers. So I would say, you know, similar to Squarespace, we, we spend and we are starting to invest a lot into marketing. Um, so, the, you know, we have, you know, anything from SEO to influencer marketing to content. Um, it's, you know, all of the above. So that's kind of, you know, the path. So it goes back to what I mentioned in the, I guess, the first interview around um, making your business as predictable as possible, especially as you start scaling. Um, most companies do that through sales and marketing. Uh, most definitely, whether you're B2C or B2B and once you really figure those those levers out, that allows you to build a really predictable business. And I always have a saying that, you know, if you can build a predictable business and you know what your downside is, and it allows you to take, you know, huge bets on, you know, crazy moonshots on top of that. Um, so if your downside is, let's say, growing your business, you know, X percent year over year and your upside is infinite, I feel like that's a great place to be in for any company. Yeah. Can you talk about um, any of the things that you are kind of planning on for your future? Yeah. So one, one, one thing we've been thinking a lot about is we always get, we always get asked this question, you know, what, what do we think about credentialing or what, you know, are we going to ever have certificates or can people get degrees from Skillshare? And our stance there has always been no uh, from a traditional standpoint. Um, Cause we started to think through what can that look like, you know, from a different standpoint, if we had to apply first principles and design it from scratch. Um, so a couple of years ago, we experimented with this online model that Fast Company covered around uh, 100% project-based experience um, that was uh, peer-to-peer learning. So there were no teachers, um, and it was completely free. Um, we tried that, I think, maybe three or four years ago. So there's some components of that that worked really well, and there's some components that didn't. Um, but I do think there is something within that model that we are going to keep iterating, experimenting with, you know, in the near future. So something that's 100% project-based um, and uh, peer-to-peer learning, which means there are no teachers and, you know, completely free um, in a more structured environment um, outside of what our core product is. So playing around with that internally, I think, you know, the way we approach innovation is like, you know, you know test these ideas out, you know, um, keep them very contained. And if they work out, you know, let's keep doubling down on it and see where it goes. Yeah. Um, so what would an example of something like that look like? Um, so I think this is one example. So this is like us innovating on the educational side. I think maybe an uh, example on the business model. A couple of years ago, you know, all of our classes were a la carte, meaning people could come to the site and pay per class. And um, we felt that within our industry, especially because the, the marginal cost of distribution for digital content is zero, that the, the prices over time would keep dropping. So Five years ago, online classes were thousands of dollars. Today, you know, they're, you know, I would say probably around 10. Um, and we wanted to, you know, align with our mission of providing more access. Um, we wanted to see if a subscription model would work, you know, within education. So, you know, we took 10 classes, put, you know, put a $10 price point on them, and we kind of marketed to a small subset of users. And I guess we got to 100 subscribers and chatted with them, and they liked it, and we opened it up to more people. And I think that grew to about 1,000. And... Uh, I think that's when we decided to kind of go all in, you know, on that business model. So same format, 
And I think you, you can apply this to pretty much everything that we do from how we design our content to you know, experimenting with project-based learning to, um, you know, this year we also rolled out a no salary policy for our entire company um, to kind of level the playing field for everyone um, so that we can pay, pay people based on their skill set versus how well they interview. Um, so all those ideas, they all started with, you know, with initial idea and a kernel that we kind of rolled out gradually. And, you know, next thing you know, it, it turns into a bigger and bigger thing. Yeah. So um, for for people who are unfamiliar with that, can you explain the, the logistics of a no salary policy? Yeah. So I think this came out of a meeting that I was sitting in where there were two people that were relatively the same level of experience and one was getting paid significantly more than the other. Um, and I just didn't really have a good reason other than, you know, maybe this person interviewed, maybe they negotiated a little bit harder, you know, but you know, outside of that, you know, it just didn't really feel, I mean, I, I'll just keep it as simple as possible. It just didn't feel right. And then I started thinking through what would it look like if everyone um, along this, that level had the same salary and what would that look like if, anyone that interviewed here knew what their salary was before they interviewed. Um, and then that's, and then we just started talking through that and what that could look like and why, you know, why that would work and why that would be beneficial and, and how we can maybe be one of the first companies within, I guess, our space or startups that can test that. And, you know, what would that look like if that became the norm? Um, so we started thinking through that and we realized that there are a lot of steps you had to take to make that work. One is, you know, in order to do that policy, we had to make sure, number one, that we, we could stand by our salaries, meaning, you know, there, you know, there was always that one person that you would bend over backwards to bring into your company and you would pay them whatever. Um, or, you know, maybe another person says we're, you know, below market. And um, so we had to stand by our salaries. We did a lot of research into what other companies were paying, where, where we wanted to stand. You know, obviously we're not Google, so we can't pay Google salaries. So we kind of came with a number that we felt like we could stand by. Yeah, and then we had to kind of uh, internally like level everyone's salary. So some people were getting overpaid and some people were getting underpaid and we had to readjust a lot of people's salaries and that was not cheap for us to do. And third is we had to roll it out, you know, throughout our entire interview process. And I would say some, you know, we knew we were going to lose some people throughout the interview process that didn't like the policy or didn't like the salary. Um, but it also attracted a lot of people that love that we tried that and we, you know, tried something different. Um, and I would say today it's allowed us to build a very, very diverse culture, which I'm extremely proud of. Um, which, cause I think that is the, I guess the equation of how you innovate in the company is you have to bring a lot of different perspectives and you need a diversity of thought in order to innovate. And you have to also create the right culture in order to cultivate that. And so, and about how big are you staff wise? I think we're close to 60 people today. Okay. And just to clarify, is it there? It's one salary for for each job for that job title, or one salary for everyone in the whole company? Oh, to clarify, it's one salary for that job title based on your level. So I think there are like three to three or four different levels for each role, depending on your experience. And we define experience as like your level of responsibility that you could take on. So yeah, someone that's twenty five that is you know the, the the next LeBron James in their field that you know, it's just extraordinary yet we're going to pay them for the level of responsibility and not for them being 25 years old. 
Um, so that's kind of the philosophy that we have, and um, it's it's worked so far. That's interesting. Well, I'm interested. Um, you know, the subscription world is is something that society on a whole is accepting more and more. You know, the Netflix, the you know Amazon's getting into subscriptions. You know, subscriptions are showing up all over the place. Where do you see this going, or where do you see the future of SaaS or or subscriptions in general? Yeah, I, th- I think at some point it's um, the, the subscriptions will have to start consolidating, right? So um, it is a great business model. Um, it allows companies to focus on delivering value, um, but at the same time, I, I do think as a customer, you can't subscribe to fifty different things. You know, especially at ten dollars each. You know, that's five hundred dollars a month. Um, so I do think. Um, either things will start consolidating or companies will go out of business that couldn't fulfill on delivering strong value proposition. Um, but, but I think it's great for consumers and I think it's great for companies as well. Uh, so companies don't have to rely solely on advertising. Uh, consumers get a lot of value and companies are, you know, subscriptions, you know, companies are, you know, they have to deliver value every single month. Otherwise, you know, their customers are going to churn. Um, so I think net net it's, it's much more, it's, it's a, it's a better model for everyone, but, um, We'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, it certainly seems to let people be less annoyed. You know, you look at you look at the significant issues going on at the higher levels of the advertising industry, and it's kind of like after decades of essentially annoying people, now that there's choice, there's ad blockers, there's things like this. Um, you know, there's there are hard conversations happening at the the highest levels of the ad industry these days about how can we provide something that actually takes the customer in mind more instead of just interrupting what they actually wanted, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, um, you talked a little bit before we got going on the show today as I was, I was asking you about, you know, leadership and innovation and skills as a CEO. Um, you were talking about productivity and some other issues. What do you feel like are, I don't know, the, the most important lessons or, or the things that have helped you achieve what you've achieved? Yeah, I would say there's so many. I, I've actually started creating a, a doc that, you know, where I sh- I've, I've been writing down every lesson I've learned and as they happen. And I think it's in the list is like in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It's just so long now. Um, but I, I think the, the thing that we chatted about earlier that came to top of mind for me is like where, you know, as a leader or as a CEO or a manager, like where do you spend your time? You know, time is finite. There's only 24 hours in a day. And obviously... You know, you could be very reactive with your time or you could be very proactive. And um, I, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, reflecting on where I spend my time and, you know, was that a good use and work, you know, you know, I do think, you know, there is also power law distribution on where you spend your time. Um, so if you find the things that drive the biggest impact and if that overlaps with your strengths, um, then you can, you know, you can be a great leader by just playing, you know, playing to your strengths and, and prioritizing your time accordingly. Um, but definitely is a skill that gets developed and you have, you know, I'm very diligent on, you know, how I spend my time and, um, and I would say I'm very, very proactive with it. So great example is, um, I block out my calendar. So, you know, on Tuesdays and Thursdays are no meeting days for me. Um, most mornings are no meeting mornings. Um, it's very surprising, but I don't, you know, I don't, go to a lot of meetings. Obviously, meetings are very efficient. I go to a lot of them, especially being the founder of Skillshare. Um, but I'm very diligent where I spend my time. 
And I think there's that, you know, the, 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 I guess the deep work versus task work. And I find doing the deep work is where I can drive the most impact. And that could be thinking through the vision, the strategy, thinking through product. Um, and uh, that's where I spend a lot of my time. So I actually think this is a good place to pause for just a minute to tell you about one of our show sponsors. I was actually pretty excited when Skillshare reached out. You know, a lot of our listeners know I'm a real learning nerd, really into the audiobooks and things like this. And these guys have a ton of great classes. Um, there's like 16,000 classes on their website, but you only pay one monthly price. You don't have to pay per class, like a number of the services out there. So it's unlimited access with a low monthly price kind of thing. But the the breadth of the classes and the quality of them i'm actually really impressed with i was on there for just a few minutes and i had like a dozen classes i've i've saved to take there's stuff on social media marketing mobile photography logo design just all sorts of things for growing a business or creative things um and what's nice is they're letting me give away a free month um if you go to skillshare.com slash leader uh you can get a free month um, the class that I would recommend for sure right off the bat, though, is from Seth Godin. I'm a big Seth Godin fan, read all his books. A lot of my friends are, too. But he's got a class on there called The Modern Marketing Workshop that I, I really could not recommend enough. It's I actually think it's better than a number of his books because it's super broken down, specific how-tos, answer this question for yourself, make a plan, write it down. Um, it's not as much general uh, marketing advice. It's like specific. You need to do stuff different if you watch this. Anyways, Skillshare.com slash leader. Get a free month. There's tons of stuff on there worth checking out. But but uh, my personal recommendation, the Modern Marketing Workshop by Seth Godin is the one that uh, I think you should at least check out. Anyways, let's get back in the interview. It's interesting because, you know, as leaders or people who have started things, there's such a temptation to want to double check that everything's working right. Or, you know, um, I think, you know, it's often highly productive people, highly ambitious people that, that lead things. Um, and so it does seem to take a certain amount of faith <laughs> to pull out, you know, and, and to use that time on what you actually think the highest value is versus maybe what you're tempted to go spend your time on. Um, at least I find that for myself. Uh, A, do you agree with that? And if so, are there any things you tell yourself or any tricks or any things you do to remind yourself, no, I'm intentionally going to use my time. I'm not going to be reactive. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of rules of thumb that I, that I, that I kind of abide by. So one is when I wake up, I always say, I'm going to just do that. Whatever the hardest thing is, I'm just going to do that first. Um, cause I know with my personality, if it's really hard, I'll find easy things to feel like I'm being really product productive. And that could be like checking your email, I could, you know, be around everything. So I always prioritize like, what's the most important thing that I can get done today? And, and what's the hardest thing? Let me just knock that out. Um, so I actually taught a class on Skillshare about this and I created a rule called the three by three by three, which are, what are my three priorities for the week? What are my three wins for the day? Um, three parties for the day and what are my three wins for the week? So I spend about five to 10 minutes every single day just thinking through those and writing it down and just kind of focusing on knocking that out. And I'll say the second is I'm just very diligent with my calendar. So you know, I'll block out hours where people can't schedule meetings. Um, and that's a great example of being very proactive with your time, right? So, you know, there was a time where anyone could throw anything onto my calendar. And next thing you know, it's like you're in meetings from eight in the morning to eight at night, just constantly meeting with people. 
And then the, the follow-up question is like, when do you have time to actually get things done? Like, and I realize that if you do that three, four, five days in a row, you, you get really behind. And, and then to play catch-up, you have to work nights, you have to work the weekends, you have to work at, wake up at five in the morning just to play catch-up. And I realized looking at my calendar, like there, there are a lot of meetings that I actually didn't even have to go to. Um, or in some cases, some of those meetings didn't even need to be held. Um, so that's when I started blocking out my calendar and, you know, carving time out for myself as a leader to, to focus on the most important things. Cause at the end of the day, that's kind of how you move the business forward. And that's how you also learn is by, is by doing and, and getting things done. Um, so I've been really diligent with my time and, and, uh, being very proactive with it as well. Yeah. Um, thinking about growing a company, growing an organization, um, you guys are obviously, in the, in the training world yourselves, but as far as your own staff, helping them become better leaders, take higher levels of personal responsibility, you know, systematically helping them become better innovators. Is that a formal process at Skillshare? Is it mostly just lead by example or, or what's your philosophy on helping your staff continue to grow individually? Yeah, I, I think the best way for anyone to grow uh, at any company is to be challenged and to be constantly learning. Um, so we designed our culture to really facilitate that. So we have a culture of learning. It's, you know, and it's completely, you know, bottom up and decentralized. So we try to empower everyone to make those decisions because you learn a lot from making good decisions and making poor ones as well. Um, you learn what to do and you, and you also equally learn what not to do. Um, so we designed and architected our entire culture around that. So. A great example of that is like, you know, we, we kind of teach all of our managers and leaders here that, you know, their role is to be more like coaches um, versus being a traditional manager. So it's, you know, helping everyone, their team understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, being very clear on what their missions are, giving them, you know, enough responsibility so they're learning, you know, constantly feeling challenged. You're, you're pushing them, you're allowing them to learn um, versus being a dictator and just telling them what to do because no one is going to feel challenged. Um, by just you know executing what someone else tells them to do, and it also doesn't allow them to feel empowered, and, and it equally doesn't allow them to to hold themselves or each other accountable. Um, so I think the best way for anyone to learn is to be challenged, and and the best way to do that is to be slightly uh, outside of your comfort zone and kind of you know punch it a little above your weight and and see if you can do that. Because if you can, you'll be you'll just be surprised at. Um, how fast people learn and how fast people grow, especially, you know, if they're motivated. Sure. You know, I'm wondering if you have any advice. Um, our consulting firm, Mylan Advisors, we, you know, we're advising a lot of CEOs and senior executives and, and many in like the federal government or some state governments. And for folks who have come from more of a top down, the leader has decided everyone needs to learn this so that it can meet this organizational priority. If someone like that wanted to become more of a, you know, bottom-up driven kind of learning environment where they're they're trying to give more choice and autonomy to those individuals. Any any advice for them as they, you know, they start to maybe loosen up the control on that where they can feel like people aren't just going to go study something that actually doesn't benefit the organization, like guidance or how do you put left and right limits on that or just philosophical approach there? Yeah, I would definitely say it doesn't happen overnight, right? This is something that you can't just come to work the next day and say, hey, I, I want to empower everyone, so we're, we're going to flip the org chart upside down. And, you know, everyone that's, you know, not a leader leads. You know, it, 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 I would say, one, it definitely starts with the people. 
So you have to bring in the right people. So the, the reason we have our core values around sharp, so let's use a great example around S, right? So we hire people that are self-starters, right? So we, we kind of probe for it, we look for it. You know, if you have examples of being a self-starter previously, you're going to thrive in our culture because of the way, you know, it's so bottom up that you have to kind of like, you know, obviously we're going to tell you what broad missions that you should go on, but you're, you kind of have to find the way through that maze to figure out how to make that happen. So I definitely say one is bringing the right people. I think number two is trusting them. I think, you know, the foundation for any great team is the trust that, hap- you know, that, that, that gets layered in between that team. Um, and I think the third thing is, you know, starting small, right? So maybe, you know, if there is the right person that you trust as a leader, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, giving them a little bit more responsibility and having them make a recommendation, you know, and then kind of walking them through and asking them a lot of questions. I would say it's a little slower approach, you know, at the beginning, but, you know, as a, as a team, as a company, it allows you to go much, much faster, you know, once that really kicks in. And maybe with that one example, you, you do it with another, and, you know, that's where that whole leading by example uh, anecdote comes into play. Because once their peers, you know, start seeing that, they'll start mimicking that behavior, and, you know, that, that'll kind of, like, spread throughout your culture as well. Yeah. You know, I know we're about we're about out of time here for, for part two of the episode, but um, I'm interested in how this relates. I know one of the subjects I, I think you're interested in is the future of work. And I'm interested in, in what you do see as, as the future of work. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll try to stay away from anything related to automation and the blockchain and you know all those things. But I think the future of work is going to be very independent. I, I think the idea that one person goes to work at a company for, you know, one salary will be the minority, let's say in 10 years, if not sooner. Um, I think everyone's going to operate like they're a micro entrepreneur where they're going to have different income streams from many different places. Um, and I think it's going to be very, very, you know, for, for most and hopefully for most of them, it'll be very stable. Um, but I think the future of work is going to, you know, be, you know, the, the power is going to shift from companies to individuals because, you know, with the talent shortages and the big skills gap and, with a lot of the people, um, I think they're going to uh, work on their own terms. I think it's going to be independent. I think it's going to be flexible. I think it's going to be distributed where teams are, you know, going to, it's not going to be one team in York. It's going to be a distributed team around the world. Um, I think it's going to have equal opportunity for everyone. Um, and I think that's where the world's going. And I think we're already starting to see that, right? So a third of the U.S. working population are freelancers. Um, I think millennials are going to account for 75% of the workforce by 2025. And you know, they have their own rules of how they like to work. Um, and I think we're going to see massive change in just, you know, how we work and, and what the future of work looks like. Um, and that's not even factoring in with AI and automation on anything that, that's routine. So um, I think that leads to, you know, the value of conceptual work increasing. Um, and, and I would love to see the future of work also incorporating some, some version of basic income so that, you know, majority of our population can have their basic needs covered, which allows them to, to focus on learning, being more creative, starting companies, taking more risk in the world. It's exciting times, times of change, huh? Yeah. So I think, I think if we're, if we're all excited by how, how much the world's advanced in the past five years, I, I actually think the next five years is going to, it's, it's going to, you know, it's going to blow us all away. I, I don't really even think we can even fathom 
how much how much the world can change and get better hopefully for the better in the next couple of years so i'm really excited as well love it well obviously uh we're big fans of what you guys are doing and encourage everybody to go to skillshare.com and go sign up and check it out um maybe to end off here maybe let's close with with um one of the best pieces of advice you ever got yeah, so the, the, the quote that has kind of stuck with me for the longest time is, um, I think it was by an author named Jim Rohn, Ron, R-O-H-N, and the quote is like, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I've always felt that quote just resonated so well with me because, um, you know, I always felt that, you know, if I worked hard and I was in the right place at the right time, um, I can always, you know, progress and I can always achieve more and, and be more successful. And you just realize that if you surround yourself with people that are positive, um, you know, that, that are truly successful and success could define in any way you want, you know, you'll just realize that those things can happen for yourself as well. And you start believing those things and the next thing you know, those things happen. So I would encourage everyone like to really think about who they spend the most time with, whether it's friendships or work relationships. And if, there, if there's anything that's like negative or toxic, I just say life is way too short um, to have to deal with that. And you know, surround yourself with the five people that you want to be, be like, and you'll you'll be surprised at how fast your life can change there as well. Solid advice, I love it. Well, great. Let's end here. Thanks for making so much time for us. Thanks. Um, Thanks for having me as well. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or four hundred million dollars. Anyways, he he started a new company called BlipBillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors we're pretty excited about it hope you check out blipbillboards.com thanks hi welcome to the subway ad for 299 subs how would you like it uh i'll take drill sergeant please you got it all right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just two ninety-nine each. Subway, make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.